But as they understand it, it's a you know, the opportunity of the enablement industry. You know, it's really at two billion uh, uh, market today. But you know, we see that going five x over the next five years, and so it, it's growing, if not faster than even the overall e-commerce market. And that's because you see a lot of really uh, brands, retailers are now accelerating, you know, their digital transformation or e-commerce. Texas Global. Sparking innovative thoughts. Today on our podcast, we're going to take a look at something that everybody probably has been involved in, and that is e-commerce. Welcome to another episode of Texas Global Podcast. I'm Chawa Ratyong Jira Nonarpupe, the Global Content Editor of Texas Media. And as I just mentioned, today we're going to take a look at one of the Uh, big brands here in the region that has really made a name for itself and and perhaps maybe gain more insight as to what e-commerce is right now in terms of the region and also what should we expect from the market. Today we have Kun Paul C. Waterkun, the co-founder and group CEO of e-commerce, the largest e-commerce enabler in Southeast Asia and a unified e-commerce Uh, platform uh, offering end-to-end e-commerce management services that is trusted by top global brands. Hello, Kunpal. Hello. Um, thank you so much for joining us here today on our talk. Um, first off, for those who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about e-commerce and what you've been up to? Sure. Um, it's great to be here, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, you know, e-commerce. We've been, you know, we started the company uh, about nine years ago in 2013, um, really as end-to-end e-commerce enabler, where we help brands really, you know, provide everything from digital marketing, store operations, all the way down to logistics and fulfillment, and really support these brands under a unified uh, t- uh, e-commerce platform called e-commerce IQ, which really enables the brands to be able to get, you know, not only end-to-end operations, but also the full visibility in terms of data and analytics of their entire e-commerce business. Um, and really, we started in a, a homegrown Thai business. Um, and from Thailand, we uh, expanded uh, into uh, Indonesia, uh, Singapore, Philippines, and uh, most recently, uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think that your story for today is not only going to be inspirational for those who are starting out here in Thailand, as, as you have yourself, but also, you know, other uh, others who are in the region as well, or, or perhaps around the world as to how to, you know, uh, follow your footsteps. But first off, um, I don't know, from, from being a tech startup to now a public company, um, definitely uh, that's a, a challenging journey. For anyone, uh, what were the main challenges that you know rem- you remember along the way that perhaps you can share uh, share with us? I mean, I just want to say that I mean we're n- we're not uh, you know a public company yet. I mean we're in the process, and so but you know f- for the journey that we've you know taken for the last you know nine nine years, I mean you know has been really also challenging. I mean it's not never easy. Um, when you look at really a pioneering in a fairly new industry, I mean, when we first started, a lot of you know people didn't really understand the whole e-commerce enablement industry. But now, um, you know, it's really pretty much maturing, and people understand it. But you know, if, but as they understand it, it's a you know, the opportunity of the enablement industry. You know, it's really at a two billion uh, uh, market today. 
but you know we see that going 5x over the next five years and so it, it's growing if not faster than even the overall e-commerce market and that's because you see a lot of really uh, brands retailers are now accelerating you know their digital transformation or e-commerce and you know because of that and the lack of you know uh, talent resources and also the complexities of the market you know naturally e-commerce enablement uh, has become a pretty uh, valuable uh, um, um, service for for a lot of uh, you know not only global brands but also regional and even local. So, uh, uh, would you say then perhaps maybe your management has definitely changed? I mean, or changed somewhat when compared to the first year of your business? Yes, when you're when you start off, um, you know, in the first year, you, you, the founding team has to wear many hats. So you're doing kind of everything from the marketing, the fundraising. You know, you're building out the operations uh, with the technology, and you know, and you know that that I think is very um, so it would be challenging for many um, in the very early stage. But we were fortunate to have you know a pretty large founding team of five, which was important because you know the model that we were trying to um, 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 crack or build was um, you know complex, right? You're really looking at you know three mega industries, right? You're looking at you know retail, logistics, and technology. Um, and one and so having a founding team a big founding team was really important um you know fast forward to you know four or five years later um you know we now have a very strong management team um you know where they have a coo a cpo you know even a, a, a chief security officer um you know that's really important um to specialize as your business scale scales and of course you know having those different um, in, uh, specialties and different functions is important to not only drive the efficiencies, but also actually innovate on behalf of our clients, right, and, and, and the group. And so, you know, that, that obviously is, you know, not, as a management team, we've had to mature um, and, and also really focus on roles, uh, you know, moving forward that, you know, enable us to really uh, specialize in that and drive that because our business, again, is not just in you know, three different industries, but in, you know, five markets and soon to be six. Um, and so that's really uh, that, that complexity, um, you know, requires, you know, quite a lot of uh, um, um, a solid uh, senior management that can manage, you know, different uh, departments, functions across a multitude of different countries. I, I have some follow-up questions because I'm, I'm sure some people who are listening probably are thinking the same way. I mean, uh, when you, I just wanted to ask from the start, as you said, you know, you're, you're blessed to have a, a big team at the very start, uh, you know, five, did you say five co-founders? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a large amount of, of, of decision makers uh, or a number of people. Um, was it a challenge to navigate, you know, how to scale or do do decisions when you have uh, that amount of people on board at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm uh, as a founding team, it's really, you know, especially, the, it, again, it depends on the business model that you're trying to solve. It was so big that each one of us were actually specializing in the sections, right? Whether that was the marketing, the, the operations, you know, the tech, right? And so the, as a founding team, right, it was really important that, you know, from the get-go, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, it wasn't a, a kind of MVP type of model, right? We do a lean startup, you kind of, you know, build 30% of the product and then, okay, let's see how it goes, right? I mean, in this model, it's like, you know, you're either executing end-to-end e-commerce for a brand, you can't do that 30%. 
And so, so, you know, depending on the model, you have to actually really invest, you know, upfront to make sure that you're able to provide that entire, um, you know, end-to-end services, that infrastructure, and also, of course, technology. And of course, over time, that improves and gets more, a lot more efficient, um, um, you know, uh, as, as, as we scale. So, uh, you know, definitely it, it's, it's not an easy task to, to start anything and, and to keep it running. Um, from, from your perspective or, or your feelings right now, I mean, uh, you know, how, do you feel it? you've reached a sweet spot now, uh, you know, in terms of everything is well oiled, everything's working together, you know, to, uh, you know, everything is going the way that you, you planned or, or do you think perhaps maybe, you know, it, it's still the same or, or what? I mean, that's because every every person who has you know a Starbucks or a company strives for that sweet spot where they're like, okay, I can kind of like take a breath and relax a bit, and and you know, you know, everything is going to plan, or or do you think it's just the same kind of feeling that you have since the start? Well, I mean, I think it's you know you have similar feelings, but it's just now at a whole nother scale and mm-hmm. a lot more zeros with, of course, you know, a, a, you know, big stakes at play. Because when you think about, you know, before we were managing smaller brands, but now, you know, your, man, your clients are, you know, global brands, right? That have, you know, that rely on you for their entire business. And so I would say that, you know, that, that, that level of expectations, all right, is much, you know, has gone higher, especially as you operate also more countries. But that, of course, becomes easier with tech and with the infrastructure and with a solid team. But, you know, you, know, you, you never, the moment you kind of feel, right, like you are, um, you know, a, a sense of accomplishment, right? Or, you know, we, I actually worry when we do not have any problems, right? I'm the guy that goes and hunts for problems, right? Because as a business, right? Like business is about solving problems. And so the moment that there's no problems, um, you know, we're in trouble, right? And so you always have to think about, you know, what other problems are there? And, and it, to get the mindset of the team to really think that way, right? You know, enables you to also grow and innovate, but also consistently optimize, right? And that's where I think it's really important that to have that constant fixing, constant f- problem solving, um, and it's part of one of our, you know, key kind of DNAs um, of the business. That's that's well said. I, I think I think that's a first actually in a while that I've heard that, you know, it, yeah, definitely good to have problems. And uh, and I just wanted to ask a little bit uh, about, um, you know, you mentioned yourself that, you know, there everyone, uh, you know, has that challenge of manpower or talent. Will you yourself have that uh, challenge as well? Or do you think things are getting better right now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the challenges, I think, with, with, with our markets, um, especially, you know, for specifically Southeast Asia, um, you know, when you look at the talent, um, you know, specifically around technology, engineering, you know, and just, you know, basically people specializing in, in internet, you know, it's still a fairly young industry. And so there's not as much talent. But now when you look at not only tech companies are hiring aggressively, but actually it's also the traditional companies that are now wanting to transform and become technology or, you know, uh, go through digital transformation. So they too are trying to grab, you know, similar talent. And this is where it's really important, I think, to really create a culture that, you know, how do you kind of retain and and not only retain, but also attract that talent. And I think, you know, a lot of, um, you know, as I say, young, um, you know, um, young executives who, you know, who, who, who are looking to join, you know, companies, they don't only want the experience, but they, you know, of course, experience is key, 
but you know they want to experience across a multitude of you know different you know, uh, disciplines and sectors, right? So you know they want that kind of uh, entrepreneurship uh, experience as well. For someday they might want to do their own business and whatnot. And so you know for us as uh, uh, as a business model. And, you know, we, because we, you know, we really, we do everything end to end from that marketing all the way down to the logistics, right? So, you know, the learnings that, you know, um, people that, that, that join our business, our company, they, you know, they get an opportunity to learn everything across uh, everything from marketing to retailing, to logistics, to technology. And it's almost like, you know, five or six startups in one, right? And so I think that, you know, that's one thing that, that attracts um, the talent, of course, you know, it's hard to find talent, you know, especially over the last couple of years where there was, you know, kind of a huge um, uh, uh, surge in, in, in you know, a, a lot of players, not only global players entering the market, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, we start to see that kind of that remote work um, actually also opened opportunities for us. And so mm-hmm. rather than, you know, as we started to, you know, people started working from home, we start to see that, you know, well, if people are working from home and we're doing everything remotely, why couldn't we find talent in Vietnam, in India, um, in Eastern Europe? And we actually, you know, we do have, um, um, you know, partners and hubs where we actually development hubs in different markets, right? Um, and that really kind of for us has, you know, opened up that new kind of opportunity where you can find talent really anywhere in the world now. You just have to make sure you're, you know, properly managing them. Um, and of course, with our, our talented ex, uh, executive team, I think we've done a pretty good job of being able to, you know, really manage remote work, uh, remote workforce. Um, and we see that probably going to continue to grow. But I think that, you know, as the climate starts to cool down, um, especially globally, um, you know, we think that, you know, that kind of paying double or, you know, 30, 40% increase in poaching, I think that's going to start to slowly go away. And I think that, you know, um, um, also, some startups that you know may have be, may may run into challenges in terms of fundraising just because of the you know, the new macroeconomic climate. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know that will also kind of free up, I would say, uh, more talent um, in the region. Do you have um, any key advice? You know, in addition to what we've talked about for for those listening or for others who who want to follow the footsteps of of e commerce. Uh, I mean, my advice just really, you know, um, I think. It's rare, but actually to have patience, right? Um, especially if you're pioneering in an industry. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of founders kind of have that mentality of, you know, moving fast and kind of breaking things, right? And, and you know, you, you got to have that mentality in terms of, you know, really trying to push and break things and, and move fast. But the reality also, is you have to be patient, right, with the market. Um, in the market, you know, over several years, not only in this, you know, in e-commerce, but even previous companies, Right. It really does take a while to develop, right? Whether it's the advertising industry, you know, the e-commerce industry, you know, it, it just takes a while. And I think you have to be patient, read the market well, spot the trends, and of course, strategize and coordinate with your team to grab that opportunity when you see it. Right. And so it's really important that, you know, because when you don't see that immediate result, some people, some companies or startup founders, you know, they might kind of like give up or, you know, kind of throw in the flag, but Really, it, it does just takes industries a while. And, and so therefore, you know, kind of burning a lot of cash up front to just try to kind of show the top line growth metrics versus really understanding the problem you're solving. Um, and also actually knowing that it will take a while to solve that problem. I think it's really important. And so you think about really conserving your runway, your cash to give you time 
to solve those problems. I think that, you know, that is, um, you know, one learning that I would, you know, um, or advice that I would give to uh, other startup founders. That's I, very interesting because a lot of what I've been hearing is like, you know, the timeline or the time frame for trying new things is, is shortened down. You're not talking about years. You're talking about months. Try, try, just throw anything, you know, against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, but but it's important as well, yeah, to, to have that mindset, to think that, oh, you really do need to be observant of the, the ecosystem, the market, or what's going on, right? It's like you kind of have to have that right rhythm of like, go and waiting and seeing right that's right and i think once you have that base right and you know once you have the right economics in place and you've you know really understood the model then when you think about growth capital to accelerate that you know that's where you know it really excites kind of investors and vcs but you got to get the core model down and so you know but you know and when you think about today you know a lot of the growth kind of a, a high tech growth stocks, right? They're really getting punished in the market because, you know, now it's about the fundamentals. It's not really about, you know, just the kind of the growth stocks, but rather now about the value stocks, right? And, and you know, we've been, you know, that, biz, that type of business, you know, since day one, right? And it was that really kind of protocols led, um, um, you know, type of business where, you know, we're just making sure that we're growing, you know, with, a little faster than the market, but not kind of growth at all costs. We look at these, you know, kind of online B2C players that are just, you know, market share at all costs and they're burning a ton of money. Um, but, you know, when you now when you look at kind of the market drying up, right, you know, it's going to be really painful next couple of years for these companies as the fundamentals really kind of weren't there. Um, of course, they're all optimizing, you know, now, but I would say like, you know, the that's just where I think that, you know, startups, to date, I think for the next couple of years, it's going to be slightly different, especially the ones that are starting now are going to be a lot more frugal, a lot more bottom line focused, path to profitability and not kind of growth at all costs. And really, it's kind of good business practice, right? Um, and so I think the market's just over just correcting. But I think that, you know, when you start any company to date, really, you kind of have to be able to just get the base right. But the moment you get access to capital, you can accelerate that, you will actually be much more efficient at, the, at deploying that capital. So then, you know, from your perspective, I, I've asked this question uh, many times, and, and it's, it's, it's like a lot of people say, you know, Thai startups should have a global or regional mindset from the very start. Um, a lot of mistakes are, are made where, you know, uh, we seem to only think of our market. We don't really think about outside. I mean, the same thing goes for other countries as well. You know, people or companies tend to just look inwards. Um, is, is, is it still the same? Is the advice still the same that you should still always think about the rest of the world? What, what were you guys thinking at the beginning? I mean, you know, when we started, we had to get Thailand right first, right? And of course, but naturally, when you think about starting a business in Thailand, uh, you know, the market size itself, you know, it's somewhat big, it's bigger than Malaysia, it's double the size of Malaysia, and, and obviously much bigger than Singapore. But, you know, you know, as the just one country, it's, you know, I would say fairly small in terms of a market size. And so naturally, you can go, you know, again, it really depends on your business model. But, you know, I think there's room for companies to go really deep in Thailand, right, and, you know, really go deep and, 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 and grab a large market share. But, you know, with that said, you you know, Thailand is a very competitive market, especially from the conglomerates, 
right? And I think Paul Ark, I mean, phrased the you know the Seattle syndrome, where you basically you know you have like the big Microsofts and 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 Amazon in in Seattle that basically sucks up a lot of you know the the you know the competition, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know Thailand has really big conglomerates that also are very competitive and go very aggressive in that space. And so you got to be ready to you know if you're going to go deep, you got to go toe to toe, but also you know, when you, you know, think about the market opportunities of, you know, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Philippines, right, you know, investors also like the fact that you're also, you know, diversifying the risk of just one market, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have a political risk in one, a, you know, any specific country, you're somewhat diversified, right? And so that's where I think the Southeast Asia play is important, because, you know, I, I, you know for investors, it's all about, you know, diversification, and minimizing that risk but also when you think about the opportunity to expand into these you know really big markets with indonesia vietnam i mean these are you know even in their own markets is huge so as a thai company um you know it, it's uh you want to be able to you know expand into those markets and grab that opportunity especially if you have a unique model but you know if you're going to enter that market as you know, a number four or a number five i think you'd have to rethink you know mm -hmm. that strategy right mm -hmm. when you enter those markets um, whether that's consolidation, um, um, you know, joint ventures. So, um, you know, it, there's really, uh, but I, 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 I think that, you know, you do have to have a regional mindset, especially starting from, you know, uh, Thailand. But again, it depends on which model. So now you're operating as uh, as you've just mentioned, you know, in in about five countries, I believe, right? Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines, and Singapore. Um, from from what you're seeing right now, uh, how how do they differ from each other uh, at this moment, do you think, as, as markets? Sure, the Thailand market, it's similar to Malaysia and Singapore. It's a very mature market, right? You have really kind of, you know, good consumer economics, purchasing power, mature uh, infrastructure in terms of logistics. And so, you know, it's fairly easy to do business um, and also got a very strong consumer base, but it's still fairly small. And, and so that means that, you know, you, you can actually kind of operate to say profitably in these countries, right? Where, where when you think about Indonesia, Philippines, for example, you know, large markets, um, incredibly complex infrastructure because of the archipelagos, um, the basket size or purchasing power is fairly low, smaller, it's lower, but of course, much, much more mass, right? In terms of the, 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 the total consumer base. And so there, you know, you have to be prepared to be selling basically, you know, smaller, lower priced, right and even subsidizing growth right and you know for a much longer time frame to get to that economies of scale right before you can actually make a profit and so you got to really think about having to invest more into those markets um, when you even look at infrastructure uh, in terms of logistics as a cost right um, you know to to um, to GMV, you know, in those markets, you're still looking at like, you know, 15, 20%, even higher than that, right? Where in Thailand, in, in, in more mature markets, it's, you know, single digit, right? Because, you know, meaning that you have to spend less um, to build up, you know, to, to, for delivery and spend, spend uh, less in infrastructure when you're, um, you know, when you're operating in Thailand or, or Vietnam, sorry, in, in Malaysia. The Vietnamese market, just briefly, I know, has attracted a lot of people. What what makes it so shiny? What makes it so special? Um, you know, you, we, we, when we look at the Vietnam market, I mean, it's also that, that purchasing power, right? You have, you know, over 100 million. Um, you know, it's, uh, we look at also actually the enablement in that, in that uh, market 
at least very specific for us, and you have a lot of fragmentation. So there's still a lot of smaller e-commerce enablers, um, which kind of shows you, you know, the huge opportunity. We're seeing basically four or five different e-commerce enablers there that, you know, there's not one really dominant one. So, you know, that's a thing that's in, in, in a really exciting um, 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 market. Um, and really, when you look at the e-commerce uh, market potential, right? I mean, it's going to grow from basically like four, whatever, four or five billion to, you know, 11, you know, 12 billion over the next uh, five years. And so when you look at that, that kind of, you know, basically like 3x growth in e-commerce, right? And, you know, whether it's consumer health, electronics, beauty, personal care, you know, these industries are, you know, or these categories are growing incredibly fast. And that's what makes that, you know, market exciting, at least from uh, an e-commerce enablement perspective. And talking about growth, there has been massive rapid growth in terms of adopting uh, e-commerce here in Thailand um, and, and, the, and the, then the rest of the region. Is there still opportunity for, for Thai startups? Definitely. I mean, I think we're still in the very early innings or early days. You know, you're looking at, you know, roughly around kind of 10, 11% of total retail, um, where, you know, it will grow to about 20% plus over the next five years. But when you look at our Asian neighbors, like China, it's now at 35, 40%, right, in terms of e-commerce penetration of total retail. So I think that there's, you know, still huge, uh, massive room for growth. And, you know, when you look at really kind of the next, you know, 10 years in Southeast Asia, kind of it's a real generational opportunity, because when you look at not only uh, the structural change, right, of 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 um, of e-commerce. It's not a you know um, a one-time thing. It's here to stay, and we see that just you know even um, you know during COVID, it was acceler accelerated by COVID, but mm -hmm. you know it continues to grow significantly. And we see that even you know new demographics. It wasn't just kind of the gen generation Y or Gen Z, but even you know the uh, Gen X and baby boomers. Um, you know the older folks during COVID had, were forced to actually buy groceries online and we did not see them um, stop purchasing, right? We see them actually increasing the spend even more. And in some ways they've discovered that there's a lot more variety online. There's a lot you know, better price, right? And the ease now of basically um, because of you know, them having to force to, be able to, to buy things, we see them actually growing as a demographic. And so I think it's really um, exciting because you can see whether it's, you know, um, an older generation, right, with whichever brands or products you want to target to that, the younger generation, everyone has a mobile phone, everyone, you know, spends, you know, four or five hours online on average, right, with gaming, with entertainment. And so we, we see just kind of e-commerce, you know, growing as, you know, as fast um, across that region. Um, and, and Thailand specifically, I think, you know, Thailand's a very social market. And so you do see, you will see kind of different nuances in terms of, I think, you know, kind of you have your, you have your kind of traditional e-commerce, your marketplaces, but I think social commerce, live streaming or live shopping, right. Um, you know, that's starting to really pick up in Thailand. We see that and we, we're, we provide the live uh, shopping for our, for our brands. And, you know, we see a lot of the kind of uptake of entertainment, um, you know, specifically in, in, uh, in, in e-com. So uh, when you have that all in play, there's emerging, you know, uh, hot words, uh, hot technology that's coming out that's emerging, DeFi, Metaverse, Web3. Um, how are all these things going to impact e-commerce, do you think? 
I mean, I, I look at the, these uh, new technologies as really enabling brands to create really new experiences. When you think of like the metaverse, right? It's a really interesting new way for a brand to build that community like around their customer, right? Where they can actually engage with them in a digital world, right? Whether it's, you know, they're now creating entertainment, gaming, and these are just even fashion brands, right? But also the ability for them to actually personalize their brand you know, to that consumer. And it doesn't mean just, okay, you know, um, we can, you can buy our, you know, that, for example, Adidas, you know, selling digital outfits, shoes and styles for the avatars in, in this metaverse, right? But that's interesting because they don't have to manufacture any of these shoes, right? So they're, it's really about the brand. And it's, I think every brand in the future will also become a technology company because, you know, that's really where all the consumers are. And that's where they have to really innovate and create and design. And so, you know, they're not actually designing physical shoes, but they're now designing personalized products, you know, for consumers. And so I think that's where it's really going to get interesting um, um, and innovative. But, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you know, kind of other technologies, I do see that, you know, just a recent um, open network um, in, in, uh, in India, which the government launched, which is called Open Network for Digital Commerce, or ONDC. I mean, that is really, you know, the Indian government creating a platform, you know, for all the SMEs to be able to trade without, you know, basically something that competes against the Amazons and the Walmarts, right? But really kind of an open network. Um, and we you know what I find interesting is that, you know, when you see these kind of initiatives, it really also empowers the SME. So when you go into this network, you want to provide, you know, logistic services, right? You, you API with this open network. And, you know, you can think of it almost like a blockchain that is, you know, kind of free and open and transparent. And really the government has launched it really to be able to um, um, encourage or, or, you know, grow, you know, just commerce and retail in general. I find that, you know, type of technology really interesting, right? Because, you know, you think about, you know, what, what is the Web3? You know, it's about really democratizing the internet. And it's interesting that, you know, the government can actually um, engage in that, right? It's, you know, in terms of types of technology that really empowers the masses that are not kind of forced into these kind of silos or platforms, right? Um, um, where they have to, you know, pay somewhat even, you know, pretty high uh, commissions, right, to just do, to transact on there, some of them even losing money. So it's really interesting to kind of see even governments deploy that. And, you know, I can see that uh, the, the, the Southeast Asian governments um, will actually probably be looking at this model. And you think Thailand, for example, doing prompt pay, right, think the way you're using prompt pay today, um, you know, the QR code for payment, well, there will be eventually a prompt pay for commerce. So you can set up a store for free. You can, you know, get logistics. Of course, you pay for, you know, the, the logistics fees, but enabling basically every entrepreneur to be able to build on this network. So I do see that Thailand is actually leagues ahead with prompt pay in terms of other countries to be able to, in, 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 you know, drive that innovation. But I think there are many things to come after that um, as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, that was, I think that prompt pay, I just wanted to add, that, that's, that's really something that um, was very fast. I, I, I think some people like myself <laughs> didn't think it was going to catch on that fast. Uh, but anyways, we've come unfortunately to the end of our talk. Um, Paul, what would you like to say to our viewers? What, what last, I mean, you've given so much over the past half hour uh, in terms of advice as to how to, to start, how, what challenges uh, you, you, know, you might face and, and uh, what are the solutions? Um, what is your last, um, 
you could say takeaway that you would like to give to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I I just like to maybe share that you know or emphasize that you know the Southeast Asia and e-commerce is really this you know generational and transformational opportunity in this decade. I mean, Temasek and Google, you know, they're calling it that the trillion dollar decade. And then we believe that really like e-commerce and technology is going to lift like living standards, job opportunities, and kind of create new industries, right? That's going to be exciting and lucrative, not only for, you know, startup founders, but also even investors as they look into the market, they're looking at investing into the market. Um, and so, you know, this is really going to be a very exciting, you know, kind of next, um, I would say 10, 10 years. And we're just in the kind of the early days of that. And so, you know, again, if you're a startup founder, you also have to be you know, you know, patient as well, right? And you got to look at the long game in these markets. But I mean, you know, it's great to see that when you think about you know, kind of all the, the challenges that are happening globally, you know, whether inflation in the US, you know, Ukraine war in Europe, uh, you know, lockdown in, 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 uh, in China, you look at Southeast Asia, and it's really kind of becoming like a global gem where a lot of companies uh, glow, uh, you know, and investors are looking to enter. And you look at even the foreign direct investment in coming into the region that has just started to increase actually more in the last two quarters. So I think there's a lot of exciting times ahead. I know we started, you know, uh, um, post COVID has been you know, brutal for some industries, but now the market's opening up, whether that's travel, that's retail. Um, so I think it's going to be an exciting next few years. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the com- startups that are listening, investors that are listening, you know, will really see that opportunity and continue to invest into the region. Thank you so much, Paul, for, for being with us here. And it's exciting, um, exhilarating to, to listen to what you have to say. And we look forward to seeing more from e-commerce. Thank you so much, Kapkun Ka. Thank you. And this has been yet another episode of Texas Global Podcast. For more, of course, you can always come to our website and find out more talks that are interesting about tech and technology and business always here at Texas Media. Sarika. Texas. Sparking innovative thoughts.